0: We the ones. <laughs> we the ones they talking about. Broadway sports media. Choose your fighter.
1: Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll
2: you probably piece something together.
1: Outstanding.
2: There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast.
1: Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. I got second
2: phone. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We gonna line up. We gonna play. Tighten up, baby
1: welcome in everyone to another episode of the music city audible podcast i am justin graver with a slightly horse-ish voice tonight i'm joined as always by justin Mello. we are brought to you by broadway sports media partnered with 440 sports justin how are you feeling tonight
2: I'm feeling good, man. The game over the Rams was crazy. Excited to talk about that with you and recap it. And then we got a pretty interesting contest on tap here against the New Orleans Saints. We have a great guest, Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints, uh, to come help us preview that game. So we got a whole lot to talk about today.
1: That is right. Titans made a couple of somewhat surprising roster moves. There's a big free agent wide receiver out there we'll touch on briefly. Talk about this Huge Titans win over the Rams at SoFi Stadium. I was there, my voice didn't even make it to halftime. I feel like I am a little, I I don't sound like myself, but I sound good enough today. (laughs) And then yes, we got Ross Jackson. Thanks for bringing that up. So let's just start here. Titans cut Josh Reynolds, apparently. Reynolds went to the team, asked for his release. We'd heard some rumblings earlier in the season that he wasn't necessarily happy with his role. Reynolds, of course, inactive on Sunday night against his former team. You think he probably wanted to play that revenge game. What are your thoughts here on this whole Josh Reynolds situation?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, the good news for Tennessee is that they won't miss him at all. And that's not me trying to be uh, an asshole about it. They they just won't. Right. I mean, he, he played in five games this year made 10 catches for 90 yards, had a really big opportunity against the New York jets where he was essentially, uh, I believe the receiver one in that game. And, uh, you know, did a couple things here and there in that, in that disappointing loss, but overall uh, failed to um, execute to the best of his ability just hasn't looked right this year. And I think you'll agree with that. I mean, he had the injury in training camp. I think it was an Achilles, right. Uh, a sore kill, whatever it was, obviously it wasn't a, a tear or anything because he would have missed a year, but something Achilles related that, that hampered him and slowed him down. And he just doesn't look like himself. Uh, He really doesn't. And and then, you know, you get the surprises from Nick Westbrook takes a step forward. Marcus Johnson looks great in camp. Chester Rogers looks great in camp, earns a role on special teams as the slot receiver. All these guys just kind of passed him by on the depth chart. Right. And and I don't think we expected any of those guys to pass him by. Right. But here you have not one, not two, but three of them. And, And then, you know, he doesn't play special teams. He offers you nothing in that area of the game. So It just became increasingly difficult for him uh, to to have him active on game day. I imagine the Rams game was the final straw. Like you said, it's his former team. He probably wanted to prove something to them and he's inactive for it. So uh, it kind of is what it is. They're not going to miss him. Uh, This whole thing went about as poorly as it could, right? I mean, when he signed, uh, they they hadn't acquired Julio Jones yet, right? So he signs a one-year deal. I believe, didn't he have an offer? Didn't he say, was it Kansas City? Or he had an offer from someone else. I remember seeing something in the media, and I think it was the Kansas City Chiefs. And boy, I bet he wishes he took that one instead. When um, he comes here, we, we thought, I mean, heck, Graver, let's be honest, we'll expose ourselves. I mean, you can go back and listen to this show in the offseason
1: where we thought it was plausible that he was going to end up as the receiver, too. This was before I, the Julio Jones trade. Not only did we say that on the show, I clipped it and posted it all over social media. <laughs> <laughs> Got to go
2: back and delete that tweet. No, all, nah, all we don't delete it. <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding, but all, all kidding aside it just didn't go well, right? I mean, it is what it is. He can move on now. I don't know that he's capable of salvaging this season because like I said, even when he has been out there, he hasn't looked explosive. He hasn't looked very good. You can probably chalk that up to the Achilles situation. It's a it's a terrible thing to deal with. Um it, it's just unfortunate and it, the tenor now ends in disappointment between these two sides and uh the Titans won't miss him
1: and hopefully he can latch on somewhere else. All right? Yeah. Best of luck to Josh Reynolds, the second most Um, attractive, I guess, free agent wide receiver on the market right now. Um, In other news, the Titans have also released Breon Borders, cornerback who a lot of Titans fans thought was at least serviceable as a depth player, had some good moments last season also gave up some long touchdowns, but overall pretty good depth player. But it looks like he has been passed on the roster by Chris Jackson and Chris Jones and anyone else in the room because Borders has been waived could this mean anything more for the Titans? Maybe a player that might be coming back?
2: It could. It could mean a couple of things, but first I'll touch on borders real quick. When you really think about it, I guess it's not all that different from the Josh Reynolds situation, right? Where they they brought him back this year um, and, and supposed to be a depth guy. But now all of a sudden, like you said, Uh, The emergence of Chris Jackson, who's been terrific, by the way, and we'll probably touch more on him when we get to the Rams recap. But Chris Jackson has certainly passed him on the depth chart without a shadow of a doubt. Don't forget Greg Mabin, who they brought in and and played every snap in the Kansas City game. He's undoubtedly surpassed uh, borders on the depth chart. I mean, Elijah Molden plays inside versus borders outside, but he's obviously a corner that they like more. Then you talk about Chris Jones coming up from the practice squad and, and playing more snaps. Uh, in Sunday's game against the Rams. So this is just a situation where they feel like they've got better players than borders and it's time for them to move on. Uh, Mabin missed the game. So this is potentially a sign of him getting healthy, but more importantly, and what we will hope for is that this means that Christian Fulton is ready to return from injured reserve. He's missed what four or five games. Now he has certainly missed a a minimum of three uh, that was necessary, but he's missed more than that now. So you would love to get Christian Fulton back and And yeah, this Sunday's game against the Saints uh, doesn't necessarily terrify you from a uh, passing defense perspective with Trevor Simeon and all those low-end weapons that they have at receiver there in New Orleans. But you would love to get Fulton back ASAP, and, and this might be the weekend they finally get him.
1: Yeah, yeah, hopefully so. He has not been designated to return as of this recording on Tuesday night. But if that happens on Wednesday, that means he could be back on the practice field and then potentially added back to the active roster by Sunday. You mentioned this last week when I brought that up that the Titans have been slow to return guys after designating them to return, slow to activate them. So maybe this is the week that Christian Fulton returns to the practice field and not the actual active roster, just something to keep an eye on.
2: Like I get the line of thinking you have to have him for week 11 against Houston. You don't want to you don't <laughs> want to rush him back this week and not have him for that Houston game. You have to have him for the Texans in week 11. So maybe that's the line of thinking.
1: Well, someone's got to cover Brandon Cooks. <laughs> Texans on bye this week, by the way. Um, I have a question. Are you surprised at how quickly Greg Maben seemingly passed borders on the depth chart? Because Maben, they signed off Arizona's practice squad like two weeks ago.
2: Yes and no. Uh, mainly yes, though, because, <laughs> I mean, M- Mabin came into that Kansas City game. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they brought him in like three or four days before that Kansas city game. And then he played a hundred percent of the snaps. He was on the field for every single snap against yep. Kansas city. And I think he was only targeted like two or three times now with, with he was not targeted. Many, it's not two or three it was not, it was not as many times as he should have been targeted. Let's yeah, be honest. Game. Yeah. That's almost malpractice on Kansas city's part and their offensive coordinator. Cause you feel like, they probably should have tried to go after maybe a little more than they did, but Hey, hats off to him. He played great in that game. Um, and the reason I, that's why I say mostly yes, that I am surprised because he came in three, four days uh, before that game plays hundred percent of snaps. The reason I left a little bit of percentage in there for a no is that he does know the system, right? He was here right. last year. We thought he was patient zero as we talked right. about earlier with the COVID outbreak. He was on the practice squad last year. I felt like he was on and off the team like eight or nine different times last year, whether that was active roster, or practice squad, whatever, he does know the defense. He knows the system well. So Uh, That's the only reason I say 75% yes, 25% no.
1: And one thing I'll say about Mabin, and this is a very esoteric nonsense thing, but he just looks like a big, like he just looks like a football player. Like he's got big arms. He's like, he's stout. I just like, I'm impressed at his physique.
2: He played a lot the next week too, right? Was it the Indianapolis game? He played a fair amount in that game as well. So, so clearly they like him a lot better um, than they like borders.
1: Missed last week with some mystery injury, as most yeah, I thought he players... went on injured
2: reserve. <laughs> then they had to yeah. correct themselves he didn't go on injured reserve. I mean, that was a pretty strange situation. You don't see that one happen too often.
1: But if um, if Fulton's not back this week, you'd think at least Maben would be back yes. with this release. They also released another DB from the practice squad that is a, a nobody. Brooks. But Yeah, Nate, Nate Brooks. Brooks. But there's well, I was going to
2: mention because hey, it's another DB that they've gotten rid of, right? So you have to feel good about where you're at with uh, Fulton and or Maven, hopefully this is Chris Jones. Chris Jones is on the 53 right now, right? It was not just a practice squad elevation.
1: I think that's correct, but I believe I he's
2: on the 53. So, uh, that's another guy that might factor in here, right? Perhaps they like him better. Uh, well, of course they like him better than borders because they kept him and didn't keep borders, but that could also play into the equation here.
1: Right. All right. Let's move on now and talk about the Titans going into SoFi stadium The Rams house, their hashtag on Twitter is hashtag Rams house. They do this thing in the stadium where the announcer goes whose house? And all the fans go Rams house! And it's like what? Whatever. I'm not going to fun of another. All 17 fans that
2: they have there <laughs> they are actually cheering for the Rams. I, I
1: don't know. They, here's what I've heard as I work right well, across you were there, the stadium. so I want to
2: know. Give me the loadout. What the stadium look like? What was the atmosphere
1: like? Yeah, yeah. So the atmosphere, there's a lot of Rams fans in LA right now right. based on how good they are and stuff. There's not a lot of Chargers fans. So the word on the street in the NFL office where I work right across the street from SoFi Stadium is that most Chargers games not sold out at all. The Pats Chargers game a few weeks ago was like... Pats fans, if not more. But the Rams games have been pretty heavy Ram fans. This game, I mean, I'm not going to say that that's not the case. It was definitely the case. But there was a lot more Titans fans than I expected to see, being that Tennessee's a small market, that, you know, when other, you know, the national narrative is that other teams go into Nashville and take over the stadium, like when the Bills fans, which the Bills fans do to every team, but more Titans fans than I thought on that first drive when Autry got that sack followed by I think Simmons got the sack on the next play it was louder than I expected in that stadium but the stadium's super cool architecture is amazing the the huge video board is pretty cool not a great view from the end zone on that video board the way it wraps around but I imagine from the sides that video board is amazing but yeah it's like a full circle that wraps all the way around the field at the top Anyway, it was an awesome game to be at from a Titans fan's perspective. By the end, Rams fans were leaving the stadium with seven minutes to go. After the the Rams failed to convert that fourth and one where Bud Dupree got the pressure on Stafford and just floated it down the field to nobody and almost got picked off by Imani Hooker, I stood up and watched as all these Rams fans start leaving, and I, I was just waving goodbye. Bye-bye, Rams fans. That's one of my favorite things to do when, at, when you're at in a way stadium cheering for the team that's not the home team is to just wave goodbye to the home fans as they start walking out. I got to do that at Mavs Clippers in the playoffs last year in LA too. So one of my favorite things to do, but an incredible game for the Titans. Let's talk about how they did it because the offense was not great. They only gained 194 total yards compared to 347 yards gained by the Rams. They only averaged 3.5 yards per play. Four of 12 on third down, but they executed when it mattered and the defense came to play in this game. Just an instant reaction, thoughts, takeaways to this matchup before we dive into some of the details.
2: I mean, you all have to start with the defense, right? I think, I mean, what a terrific performance by this defense. I, I've got a good friend of mine who's a Rams fan. We were talking a little bit back and forth about the game. Good guy who knows his football and uh, I said to him, uh, watch out for that front four, you know, because I, I know the Rams have done a great job in pass protection. I think Matthew Stafford entered that game only been sacked eight times all year. And, and my buddy was telling me, look, Austin Corbett out of, uh, I believe his university of Nevada, bit of a cast off, I think failed horribly in Cleveland. It was has played really good for them. And, 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 and Edwards, who Simmons embarrassed on that bull rush, but, they feel good about that group, you know, a lot of unknown names, but they feel they are happy with that group. So, yeah. um, but this front four, man, they came in and dominated. And, and I told my friend, I go, these guys are playing really well right now. You know, watch out for Dina Coatry. Obviously, you know, everybody knows about Jeffrey Simmons and, and to an extent, Harold Landry. But what a performance by those guys up front. It started with Autry who uh, I I think got the first sack of the game, was terrific, uh, made an excellent tackle for loss at 1.2 in that first drive, I believe it was, in the run game. Uh, And then his sack, I think, forces a a, a third and 19 or a second and 19. And then Simmons follows that up with a sack, right, on the very next play. So it just felt like those guys up front set the tone uh, for the rest of the game, the entire game. And, 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 you know, L.A. got punched in the mouth, right? (laughs) That's what it comes down to. They got punched in the mouth by that front four, and they never recovered.
1: Yeah, I think that is the top takeaway coming out of this game is that the Titans defense, they may not shut down everyone every week. They may give up 31 points or whatever they gave up to Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago. There may be some injuries they're dealing with on the back end and at the linebacker position. But when they need to, the front four for the first time in like 12 or 13 years can get pressure without sending a blitz, and that just opens up so much of what you can do on the back end. I don't want to take away from Shane Bowen. I don't want to take away from the rest of this Titans defense. Shane Bowen's getting a lot of credit for now having four players who can actually create pressure. And uh, <laughs> I want to have. I want to say this stat here from Next Gen Stats. You mentioned Denico Autry, who really stepped up and came to play. Obviously, you mentioned Jeffrey Simmons sack there as well. Jeffrey Jeffrey Simmons finished with a career high. 10 pressures in this game, including three sacks, all in the first half. Danico Autry also had five pressures and one and a half sacks. Since week six, so the last six, seven, eight, nine, four games, no defenders have generated more pressures than Simmons or Autry. They're actually, over the last five games, number one and number two in the NFL in total pressures. Jeffrey Simmons, number one, with 32 total pressures. D'Anico Autry is tied with a couple other guys for second in total pressures at 25, and two pressures behind him is Harold Landry with 23. These guys are playing unbelievable football up front. Another stat from Next Gen Stats the Titans blitzed on just four of Stafford's 53 dropbacks. They managed 15 pressures with four or fewer rushers, and all five of their sacks. Came with a four man rush, which is tied for the most in a game by any defense this season. I gotta give a hat tip to Zach Lyons of F words for those uh pressure leading stats because he made me. But um really incredible front.
2: Um A couple of things I want to say about that. First of all, I mean, that that had to be the best game Jeffrey Simmons has has ever played as a professional football player. He's played a lot of good games, don't get me wrong, but uh, I I don't think this is a situation of recency bias. I I think that really was probably the best game he has ever played uh, as a Tennessee Titan. Do
1: you think he was motivated by being across from, not across from, but on the same field as Aaron Donald to show him up? Who's the best D-tackle in the league? Obviously, no one's saying Simmons is better than Donald, but he played better on Sunday night.
2: I mean, hard to say. Could be, right? I think Jeffrey Simmons finds plenty of motivation within himself, right? And how this Titans team um, is is still largely considered underdogs, right? By so many people in the national media. But one thing I want to say about this front four is... And, and, and I'm a young guy, but sometimes I'm an old, I'm an old fart. I'm an old school guy when it comes to football. Sometimes, believe it or not, I am relatively young, but, um, <laughs> and it, football's always changing. Well, I think you can agree offensively, defensively, the game looks a lot different now than it looked years ago. Heck, I remember when linebackers were linebackers, right? They weren't these hybrid safety linebacker types and you had bell cow running backs, right? And, and defenses were, purely three fours or four threes right now you got these base defenses are basically nickel three four four three don't mean anything anymore right but no matter how much keeps changing about football and how schemes are progressing and taking steps forward on both sides of the ball there is no supplement to what you can do when you can get pressure with four that is the best thing for you in football as a defense and that will never change look i am not going to complain defense to that 20 uh sorry that 2008 titans defense that was so good obviously the best in the league really at that time and they went 13 and 3 and we know how that ended but do you remember how good that defense that defense never blitzed never you had albert hainsworth you had kyle van and bosch and i can't even remember who else i think javon curse had come back at that point right uh was more in the twilight of his career but I had a, a good year from what i remember in that always was carl
1: klug around in 2008 probably later <sighs> yeah a bit of a blur for me, but definitely Kyle Van Bosch,
2: definitely Albert Haynesworth, best year of Haynesworth's career, and Javon Curse was on that team as well. But that team Klug was Klug made, not, is what you're saying. Joined right? the
1: Titans in 2011. Curse <laughs> was, from what I yeah. recall. So
2: that team never blitzed. They never blitzed. They got pressure with four, and it and it aided the back end. It helped the coverage. It helped. It helped the secondary. This team right now getting pressure with four. I mean, it's the best thing for your defense. I don't care. Front multiplicity, versatility, yada, yada. All those things are wonderful. But if you can get pressure with four, nothing is better yep. than that. Nothing is. And, and, and you're seeing it, man. You're seeing it right now with this team. Look at the way Kevin Byard is playing. And you don't think that has a lot to do with with how that front four is playing. Like this defense is, it, it's a togetherness, right? It's a unity and, and they're all helping each other out. And he's talked about that, right? How that pressure is helping him play free and safe and comfortable. And he feels good reading the game and he could flow to different areas of the field like we saw him do on that pick six. And that great video that you put out that he acknowledged and retweeted um, about, about how he was supposed to be robbing the middle of the field. And he just made a great play based on film study. But when you are in the zone like that, when you have confidence in your teammates, when you feel good about the guys that are playing both in front of you and behind you, it does wonders for your own game. And we're seeing it come to fruition right now. And this defense, it's a beautiful marriage at every level of the field currently.
1: And Bud Dupree, I mean, Bud Dupree hasn't played all the same number of along. snaps, but he's looks a little bit better every single week. He had some Ola, great Dame plays. Jamie
2: looks good when he's out there. Like, yeah. I mean, I can go on and on. Chris, Chris I, what can I say about Chris Jackson? Chris, Chris Jackson has been unbelievable in coverage and run support as a tackler, the energy that he brings, the physicality, the athleticism. I mean, Chris Jackson.
1: The play where he almost had an interception, he was covering the deep third of the field. Right. And he smartly passed off his responsibility to Hooker, who was at free safety and came and broke down on a Cooper cup play that was coming in underneath in that vacated zone. And that's how he almost intercepted it. A great play. Great, like, on-the-fly adjustment by Jackson. And I want to say about the front four and about this coverage in the secondary, because the front four is getting all all the love nationally. Brian Baldinger called him the best front four in football right now. The defense is getting tons of love. But the secondary was also huge in this team's ability to get pressure with the front four. And like you were saying, it's a symbiotic relationship. They both feed off each other. But there was, I think, most of the sacks in this game. Stafford looked at his first read yeah. and had to come off it. Had to hold the yeah. ball and wait a beat to go to the next play. It happened on... seconds. Yeah, a couple seconds. It happened on the play where Stafford was nearly thrown to the ground by Simmons in the end zone when he just decided to throw a YOLO ball to David Long. That was a play where... You know, the first read was taken away and the Titans did a great job. The linebackers over the middle being physical with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Anytime they tried to run a little two yard drag route, a little check down dump off for Stafford, they were getting bumped. They were getting hit, knocked off that route. They were coming down and covering those plays. They were doubling Cooper Cup. Titans ran a lot of zone, a lot of cover three zone in this game, which... The whole, all the rage that everyone's talking about, the Brandon Staley defense is a cover two base largely, but the Titans were, were rotating into a lot of cover threes. And I think that, you know, the the Rams maybe weren't expecting those looks a lot. Titans played mostly zone all night long. Stafford had a few good plays, but for the most part, the Titans secondary was all over these these routes. That it, The film study was apparent. The preparation was clear. And I want to say Mike Vrabel, and yes, Shane Bowen as well, It feels like any time that they have a specific game plan to stop an opponent, and this goes all the way back to 2018 against the Patriots, the first time that the Titans faced them under Mike Vrabel, or the Ravens in the playoffs, or the Bills last year and this year, the Chiefs this year, the, 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 obviously the Rams on Sunday night, when they make these very game specific plans to stop certain offenses, they are right about how to game plan against them and how to attack them way more often than they have not been right. And I think that that's a huge factor in these games and the coaches deserve a lot of credit as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of want to give some love to, you, you said it, right? The front four, but the secondary, um, uh, this front four wouldn't be able to do what they're doing right now if the first three is open right? If the quarterback can get his ha- the ball out of his hands immediately, if receivers are running wild and running open immediately, um, that, c- that can't happen. So you're right. It's a marriage between both units. And the linebacker, what about David Long? I mean, David Long has been in unbelievable form this season. So we have to give a shout out to him as well. And hopefully he's healthy. Or he got banged up a little bit there um, at the end of the game. I think it was about a minute 42 left uh, when he limped off the field. So ho- hope he's okay because they're going to need him going forward. But it looks like a hell of a unit and it should only get better as they get Christian Fulton back. Hopefully, as they continue to get healthier, uh, hopefully, again, guys like Long are okay. Uh Bud Dupree continues to get his legs under him and, and plays better football, which which seems to be happening on, on a fairly um you know week-to-week basis. But it's uh it's really something special right now. Uh we, we said before the year, right? If this defense can even be average that they were going to be Super Bowl contenders, but they're a whole lot better than average right now. They look like an actual asset, uh, uh, right, a unit that can carry a game as they did uh, against a seven and one Rams team on Sunday. So uh, it really is unbelievable. The progress that they've made. I mean, it, it's well, how far they've come is a far cry from where they were a year ago.
1: And the the defense forced the Rams into four of 15 on third down. Speaking of a far cry from where they were a year ago when they were the worst third down defense, basically in NFL history. And you said it, they carried the Titans to victory. Let's talk about the offense, because the offense struggled in this game. Ryan Tannehill had a really bad interception that as soon as he threw it from my vantage point in the stands, it was like, uh-oh, <laughs> Jalen Ramsey's all over that. It was uh, a weird route. If I felt like the Titans were trying to fool the Rams, maybe got a little too cute there. That's typically a play where AJ runs a deep dig or a deep post, and he ran a deep out instead of that so i think maybe they were hoping to catch the the rams off guard expecting aj to break over the middle and he broke out the throw was late it was not a good play Tannehill's uh fourth game in a row throwing an interception that's the the longest streak of his career since like 2016 i believe is what i saw so he uh has had a few sloppy plays here and there but he put it together and he played a a good enough game obviously to get the win titans had a few crucial fourth down conversions on the on one touchdown drive. They converted on fourth down twice, including Tannehill running into the end zone. So Tannehill, what did you make of his performance?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the interception was downright bad. I mean, you covered it there, and, <laughs> and, and it really was. And um, it's becoming a bit of a concerning theme. He, you know, let's we're not gonna sit here and pretend like it's okay. You know, he's got to cut that shit out, right? I mean, they they can't just keep giving the ball away like that. And and more importantly, you can't keep giving it away and expect to continue winning football games like you are, right? So that does have to be corrected and amended um, at some point. But he did put it together. That drive that you referred to, uh, I wrote about that a little bit on Gridiron Grades uh, for Broadway Sports because that was the last uh, scoring drive of the second half. They were up 14-3. You get the first fourth down there in makeable field goal range. I believe it was only like fourth and one or whatever. Vrabel keeps the offense on the field. They execute the QB sneak. They keep the chains moving. Well, a couple of plays later, you're faced with yet another fourth down. It's fourth and goal. And again, you could kick the field goal, take the three points, go up 17-3. But Vrabel once again decides to go for it. And what do the Titans do? They run the, uh, the play that never fails, right? That fake uh, with Tannehill. He keeps it, gets into the end zone what they busted wide open, right? It's 21, three. And now this is, this is looking like it's ball game, right? So that was a huge decision by Mike Vrabel and it was great execution on the offensive part um, to score the touchdown to get to seven points and to bust it open. Like I said, 21, three. So that was big. With that said, I I don't want to sound pessimistic, um, but you know, I I think you'd be silly and, and a little naive to walk away from that performance and say, I have no concerns about this Titans offense without Derrick Henry. Uh, you know, it'd be easy to ignore it because they won the game. I mean, they they beat the brakes off the Rams. Let's be honest. It's 28-16. In, in reality, it felt worse than that, right? It's 28-9 with 40 seconds left or whatever it was when the Rams right. scored a meaningless touchdown. So they beat the brakes off the Rams. They put them in a blender. Not meaningless
1: There's- for my fantasy team. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what did you have on there? Stafford. <laughs> there you go. You got the touchdown throw. Who did he throw it to? I don't even remember who he threw it
1: to. Sony Michelle, right? Sony over Michelle, the middle. That's right.
2: It was running back. That's right. So, but what, what I'm what I'm trying to say here is you can look at the final score, look at the overall performance. It, it might be easy for you to walk away from this and, and, and ignore or neglect the issues that appeared on offense, but it would be a little silly and naive of you to say that you have no concerns about this offense without Derrick Henry because it didn't really look great. Again, uh, you know, variable point, to a three for three in the red zone, and that is terrific. Don't get me wrong. It's important to convert those trips into seven points, and that is terrific, but it, it wasn't great.
1: Yeah, and I want to talk about the passing game really quick before we move on to this running attack. I, you'll hear me say this again a bit later with our guest, but the Titans averaged, or Ryan Tannehill, I should say, averaged in his average depth of target in this game. Was 3.7 yards downfield. That is extremely short. The Titans were, were not attacking downfield at all in this game. And my theory as to why is not because they don't want to try those deep shots with Julio Jones, like the one that worked so well against the, the Seahawks earlier this year, or those down the sideline throws to AJ Brown that worked so well against the Chiefs. It's not that they don't want to do those plays anymore. It's that they can't protect Ryan Tannehill long enough to to call those plays against the Aaron Donald and company front of the Rams with Taylor Lewan and Nate Davis not playing in this game and i know Nate Davis hasn't had the best year and i know Aaron Brewer played really well and held his own bobby hart struggled immensely on that left ta- at that left tackle spot beat up in the run game beat up in the pass game had a false start he just is not a starting caliber player
2: he was called for a hold, where he still gave up a sack on the play.
1: That's right. That, if you that penalty. Hold the guy,
2: I mean, hold
1: him. <laughs> hold him. Yeah. That penalty obviously doesn't go in the record books because the Rams took the sack. But yeah, I mean, that's.
2: And it that's, was Aaron Donald. think to be fair, but but still.
1: Uh, it sums up his night. A.J. Brown struggled in this game. He had a bad drop on a third down that he absolutely should have caught that he normally does catch, and he missed a block. He had two drops, and he, he missed a drops, block. Both on
2: third down, that fourth yeah. punt. So I was right. going to touch on that, not to cut you off. I was going to touch on that regarding the offensive struggles because maybe it would have been better if A.J. Brown didn't drop those two uh, uncharacter, you know, relatively uncharacteristically of him.
1: The offense gonna- may have been better, but that first drop led to the punt that led to the near safety <laughs> interception that led right. to the pick six. So maybe right. that drop was good.
2: Hey, you can take you can take the big picture road there, but I'm looking at, at these offensive struggles, and I am curious how those drives would have ended if A.J. Brown didn't, you know, almost single-handedly kill two of them, right, with two third-down drives. Right. And, yes, and not two. One too. of them did bring Brett Kern onto the field, who, punt, who placed the Rams, I think, at their own four-yard line, and, and that interception yeah. occurred.
1: He killed three drives, two with a drop, and one play, the Titans tried to run a screen to, I believe it was Jeremy McNichols mm. and Deontay Dion, I think that's how you say his name, was like sprinting at the line of scrimmage before the snap even happened. And that's that was AJ's blocking assignment on that yes. play. AJ ends I, up blocking I nobody. Play. I hated the play. <laughs> I hated the play too. But again, I think they're calling those plays because they don't want to – They. Vrabel said it in the press conference before the game, I think it was like Wednesday or this, maybe it was even last Monday of the week before the game leading into the game. He said, you don't want to get into a drop back passing game this week. And I think that the Titans actively avoided the drop back passing game, even on third downs. I, I, I want to yeah. touch on one more thing in the passing game here, and that's Julio Jones. He only had four catches, but on four targets for 35 yards. He had one play where he sprinted up the sideline, a short catch, sprinted up to the first down marker, and ended up. That was the fourth down. The Titans converted fourth and one. It looked like he got the first down on that yeah. one. He I'm had shocked. another big didn't
2: move the chains.
1: Agreed. He had another big third down catch in the game where he caught it over the like a short hook type route over the middle and. I just That's think one that, that was the
2: one in the fourth quarter, I think.
1: Um, possibly, possibly. There was yeah. one in the
2: fourth quarter. I remember that one or another one, but he definitely moved the chains on third down in the fourth quarter. Uh, that ended up being a relatively crucial play because there's still quite a bit of time left that allowed them to keep the ball. I think they were only up 12 at that point, 21 9, I think it was. So that was very right. important for them to move the chains and hold on to the football and not punt it back uh, to Matthew Stafford and a Rams offense that was kind of beginning to
1: build momentum. Right, especially after they had that those two field goals that they could have scored touchdowns on, you know, I mean, you had the one that was taken off the board. He was out of bounds, so it was the right call. But absolutely. But but just seeing Julio Jones out there, he looks healthy. It it I had this thought on that third down catch that Julio made, which is that even without Derrick Henry, and you hope that he's back for the playoffs. Obviously, the Titans continue. The rumors continue to come out that the Titans are hoping he comes back for the playoffs. So all that seems positive, but. The Titans have guys on offense that they can go to, that can catch the ball, that they can rely on. And they have more than one, right? Last year against the Ravens in the playoffs, AJ Brown, if he if he's not open, Tannehill's trying to throw to Khalif Raymond and Khalif Raymond's falling down in the middle of the play and getting picked off. Like you don't have that problem if you have AJ Brown and Julio Jones on the field together. And that's how you win playoff games, is you have great players make great plays that you can count on. And so beating a playoff team like the Rams with guys like Julio making those clutch plays, it just gave me confidence in this Titans team that they can win in the playoffs when it counts.
2: They also show a lot of trust in their other targets, right? I mean, that quick slant to Nick Westbrook, uh, that was on a third down. I mean, that that, one, that took a lot of confidence in, not in Tannehill and himself, of course, because that. That was a quick developing play that almost got picked. And yeah. Westbrook showed great strong hands to come down with it. And they trust Michael Pruitt, as we know. They trust, hell, they trust Jeff Swain, who I think made four catches in this game. And let's be honest, uh, played pretty well, right? Overall, Swain did in this game. So they trust their guy. They trust Chester Rogers. They trust Jeremy McNichols. So they, they trust their guys.
1: Tannehill almost got Chester Rogers killed on one play, he throwing did, it behind that's him. was a bad <laughs> throw, man. That's a hospital ball. Um, let's talk about the running attack. The Titans, as many people expected, went with a running back by committee. Deontay Foreman led the led the team in rushing yards with 29 on five carries. Jeremy McNichols, 24 yards on seven carries. And Adrian Peterson, 21 yards and a touchdown on 10 carries. There wasn't a lot of room to run. Foreman, I think, looked the most explosive of the group. He had a 10-plus yard run, a 11-yard run and picked up a first down. Jeremy McNichols had a 14-yard run. Adrian Peterson's longest run was six yards. He looked like a 36-year-old running back, but uh, he did get in the end zone. What did you make of this running game?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's a work in progress. That's all we can say right now. Uh, I I think everyone needs better uh, and, and will demand better of themselves, right? I think Peterson will probably watch the film and say, I need to be better than that. Um, I, I think he left some yards out there. I, I think the O-line needs to be better than that, right? It felt like the Rams kind of won the Battle of the Trenches um, on a relatively consistent basis. I, I do agree the that Rams Foreman— The
1: Rams defense. No. The Rams defense won the Battle yes, of the Trenches. Yes, yes,
2: of course. Sorry. The Rams defense won the—certainly, ba- obviously, the Titans won it on the other side themselves, but uh, the Rams defense kind of won that battle up front. Um, with Tennessee's rushing attack and and the run blocking. So I agree with you. I thought Foreman certainly looked like he had the most juice out of any ball carrier. I mean, he hit the hole. He was explosive. I thought he was decisive, uh, had some juice to him. So I'd love to see him get more opportunities. There is no way um, against New Orleans coming up that he should be third in carries, right? Because that's what it was here. Peterson got the most carries with 10. McNichols had seven and then Foreman had five. I mean, Foreman's got to at least get more carries than McNichols. McNichols can be your third down back. I don't know about you. I have no confidence in McNichols when he carries the ball. Just being honest, I love him as a third down back. I trust him in pass protection. I trust him uh, a lot in the passing game, but not a big fan of you just you know dropping back there, handing him the ball. Of traditional run game. I don't think that's his game, not his skill set. So I like to see more Foreman, and I do still want to see a more Peterson. Right, we're not going to write him off just yet, uh, despite obviously the slow start and you know the advancing age. But they brought him in for a reason, and, and they've got to give him a bigger chance than this.
1: Yeah, I mean, Chris Collinsworth said it really well on the broadcast. I rewatched the broadcast twice now, actually. And uh, Chris Collinsworth kept talking about how Peterson was running very high. He wasn't running low yes. with leverage. And I, I think on that, that that's, one
2: in particular, I remember Collinsworth pointed it out.
1: Yeah. And I think that Collinsworth was absolutely right about that. And he was also, I think, right when he said, Peterson will watch the tape back and think the same thing. And Tony Dews will, do, will say the same thing. Like, Adrian, you're running high. And th- look, I mean, He's 36 years old. He hasn't played football since last season. It's week nine. He's been sitting on the couch for, I mean, he's been working out, but he's been at home for nine weeks. Like, Yeah, I've just, been sitting on the couch. I imagine he's <laughs> been.
2: No, but I, of course, you're right.
1: He just got added to the roster on, what, Monday? So uh give him some time to to work yes. back into the things. And this week's game is against the Saints, who... It's not going to be Peterson, any easier. <laughs> just, well... Not,
2: it's not going to be any easier.
1: Not going to be any easier, but Peterson... Uh signed with the Saints in 2017 and things didn't really work out well. And he had a quote out there around 2017 when he said something like, I didn't sign up for nine snaps a game or something like that. And uh maybe there's a little juice in the revenge matchup here for Adrian against the Saints. But yeah, the
2: That is very funny. I don't even remember that. I don't even remember him in New Orleans. I'm gonna be honest. That must have been that uneventful.
1: Right. Um But yeah the the running game i mean we're not expecting a whole lot without derrick henry out there but this is the fewest rushing yards the titans have had in a win in like 20 years i can't remember what what year it was i saw this stat but i think it was like 2003 or 2006 or something absolutely wild they only had 68 69 rushing yards nice as a team so uh definitely areas of improvement to be sought there Anything else from this game you want to touch on before we look quickly at the AFC playoff picture and then preview this Saints game?
2: No, I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, look, I, I do. I want to, you know, agree with your point there on Peterson. I mean, to to essentially get off the couch and come into this game uh, against a tough Rams front. You know, no, they didn't have Von Miller, but they still have Leonard Floyd and Aaron Donald. And they got a couple of other guys playing well up front there. So really tough matchup for you to just kind of get thrown into the fire with. So be curious to see how he progresses. But like I said, this matchup against a tough New Orleans defensive front is not any easier.
1: Right. And the Titans now on a five game winning streak. Chance for six here against New Orleans. Kevin Byard has at least one takeaway in all five of those games on this winning streak. Over the course of that win streak, I think I said this already, Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry are first and second in the NFL in total pressures. That's not amongst defensive tackles. That's amongst all players. And um, the Titans are now 6-0 against teams that made the playoffs in 2020. Again, won five games in a row. The Cardinals didn't make the playoffs last year, so for some reason that— That throws off the—I mean, the the Titans are 6-0 against playoff teams from last year, but the Cardinals are maybe the best team in football if the Titans aren't, and they demolish the Titans back in Week 1, which Week 1's don't really mean anything, so we can't take a lot from that. But again, 6-0 and against playoff teams, and here's a really interesting stat. This is from Ed Warner per ESPN Stats and Info. The Titans, in the last 15 years— are the fourth team to win four straight games against playoff teams from the previous season. Why does that matter? Well, because the previous three teams to do this, the Titans are the fourth, all three made it to the Super Bowl. Two of those three won the Super Bowl. Titans currently sit first in the AFC. Lots of things went right for them on Sunday, including the Bengals, the Raiders, and most notably and most surprisingly, the Bills, all losing this past weekend, the Ravens just pulled out a win in overtime. Would have been great to see them lose as well. But Titans are sitting pretty now. First in the AFC still in a week that most people had written them off. So up to number three in most people's power rankings. I've seen them as high as number two. Most people have the Cardinals number one and either the Bucks or the Titans at two and three. Crazy times we're living in. Ryan Tannehill is quarterback of the best team in the AFC and they don't even have Derrick Henry. What are you looking at for the playoffs here?
2: I'm looking at trying to clinch that number one seed, right? You give Derrick Henry potentially an extra week to rest. I mean, even if you bring him back week 17, week 18, for him to get his feet wet, uh, it would still be beneficial for him to get another week off, right, where he could rest again. Um, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at finishing in the top spot that you currently hold, right? Am, am I wrong here? I mean, you got you still play against the Houston Texans twice, right? You don't have many difficult games. You play Jacksonville again. Uh, you get to play the Miami Dolphins at one point. Your toughest games are against the New Orleans Saints, Pittsburgh Steelers and New England Patriots. None of these teams are world beaters, right? All I mean, heck, pretty much all those teams are 500 roughly and average at best. So you've got a, a great opportunity to keep this thing going, keep the train rolling and, and clinch that number one seed. All your hardest games, they're all behind you.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it's not just the teams and that they play that are good. at. Look at the quarterbacks that they're going to face the rest of this season. I mean, is the, who's the best quarterback that they're even going to play this year?
2: Can we run through that gauntlet really quickly? Because I'm inclined to say that it's uh, Trevor Lawrence. To be honest
1: with you, I mean, it's either Trevor Simeon. You got Trevor Simeon this week. Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor twice. Mac Jones. Trevor Trevor Lawrence as you said, obviously Ben Roethlisberger is the future Hall of Famer on this list. So he's the best quarterback you you'll face, but at his current state, he doesn't really throw the ball downfield a whole lot. Takes sacks that he used to be able to wiggle his way out of. I think the Titans are going to continue to rack up sacks here. That's the biggest thing to me cuz bad quarterbacks and young rookie quarterbacks, they take lots of sacks. I think by the time the Titans play the 49ers right before Christmas Eve, You're going to see Trey Lance out on the field. Who knows? That might be a little bit of a frisky matchup because you won't be able, you won't have as much tape on him. But um, yeah, I mean the quarterbacks, and then you got either Tua or Bursett, whoever's playing quarterback for the Dolphins in Week 17, and then you finish the year with the Texans again. So they're not going to face what anyone would consider a good quarterback until the playoffs. And right now, speaking of the playoffs, New York Times Simulator has them at a 99% chance to make the playoffs. It's only, this is week 10. It only took them nine weeks to more or less virtually clinch a playoff spot. That's unbelievable. Granted, being in a terrible division helps, but hats off to this Titans team. They've taken care of business so far this year.
2: I mean, you said it. Look, you got to keep this train rolling. This schedule is not difficult by any stretch of the imagination. And I do think Trevor, I, I stick by what I said. I think Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback left on their schedule. Uh, I'm not taking Ben Roethlisberger before Trevor Lawrence in his current form. So obviously the Jaguars are a terrible team, so that, that helps a lot. But when we're analyzing this from a quarterback's uh, perspective only, <laughs> not a lot of good ones left on your schedule.
1: And did you see Tyrod Taylor on Sunday against the oh, Dolphins? I He was I mean, he pitiful his sideline interception was one of the worst of the there's two interceptions worse this year than what tyrod taylor (laughs) sorry tarod taylor threw on sunday One of those is Carson Wentz in the end zone against the Titans. And the other one is Matthew Stafford in the end zone against
2: the Titans. I was going to say, and and I respect Taylor. Look, I thought he played well to start the year for Houston, right? They they won that week one game against Jacksonville. He was pretty good. And he had them in the week two contest. People forget against Cleveland. It was a close game. And he, you look at the numbers. He was playing well in that game up until they were winning.
1: They were winning. Yeah, they were
2: winning that game at one point. So I respect Taylor. And I don't think he's a, uh, a bad football player, uh, you know, by any stretch, but uh, I'll make a, a prediction that week 18 game. Is it the week 18 game against Houston? Is that the last game of the year? That'll be Davis Mills. That's a prediction I'm going to make. That won't even be Taylor. It'll be Davis Mills.
1: Fully agree with that. So Titans will probably get Mac Jones and Trey Lance and Davis Mills. That's a lot of rookies they faced this year. They played Justin Fields in the preseason. Obviously they got Zach Wilson, who they lost to in week four. And we've mentioned Trevor Lawrence a few times. Wrapping up this playoff picture talk here. I think I know where you stand on this, but the top competition for the Titans to get the one seed still think it's the bills. How do you feel about the Ravens and what are your thoughts on the Bengals and Raiders in the mix as well?
2: I don't, if you thought I was going to say the bills, you don't know me anymore because (laughs) I think that loss to Jacksonville really hurts their chances. I mean, they are now what virtually three games behind the titans because they are two games behind or they're five and three i think uh whereas the Titans are seven and two and the titans got the tiebreaker over them because they beat them so it feels like the bills need the titans to drop what three games uh by comparative purposes so yeah give it those are tit-
1: technically those are technically one and a half back because they have had their bye and the titans right. have not um but you know what's crazy the patriots are five and four the bills are five and three they're right the right patriots there. Could win the division. <laughs> have they
2: played? I don't think I don't think they've played each other yet. No. They're, that, they're, that's going to decide that division right there. So, but without getting off topic, because the Bills are at five wins and the Titans hold the tiebreaker over them, uh, the Titans have an easy remaining schedule, as we just talked about. The biggest threat to the Titans' number one seed that obviously has to go to Baltimore now, right? Who are I believe six and two, uh, have a great record, have not played themselves. Or, or will not play them this year, obviously, period. So uh, it feels like this the, the Ravens have surpassed the Bills in that race.
1: Yeah, I mean, I still think the Bills are a really good team, but maybe so. Maybe the Ravens have an easier road. Their schedule is pretty tough, though. I mean, looking ahead, they got to play the Green Bay Packers. They have to play the Bengals again, who they got killed by, and they have to play the Rams. So three pretty tough games. They also haven't played the Browns yet, so they got two games against I mean, the Browns. That,
2: that's, a tougher, that's a way tougher schedule than the Titans have.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean the Browns, the Browns looked really good this week, and they haven't played the Steelers yet either. So they got two games against the Steelers. Steelers aren't great, but they're going to give them a tough game. So <laughs> that division's going to beat up on each other.
2: AFC yeah. North. I mean
1: Baltimore, yeah. I do think are clearly
2: the best team in that division, but those other three are all decent football teams. And I mean the look, Bengals. No one-
1: the Bengals beat them 41-17 yes, say, a few weeks Bang- ago. The Bengals
2: kicked their teeth in. So we know that that division is going to be competitive, and they all play each other tough and well and close. So uh, the Ravens, that, I mean, that schedule, the Packers, the Rams, I mean, it's a lot tougher than anyone the Titans have left.
1: Yeah, as we said, Bengals again, Steelers twice, Browns twice. Their next two games are against the bears in a couple of weeks. And then this week they get the dolphins on Thursday night football, but Hey, Thursday night football, weird stuff happens. Weird. It's, it's a very weird, weird, terrible. It's always a weird never night.
2: play on Thursday. It's terrible for everybody, but you're right. It does sometimes lead to a little more unpredictability.
1: All right. So we're looking ahead and you and I are predicting a Titans one seed.
2: Yeah. I'm going to say I yes. Think
1: the question is what week do they lock it up by? Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, one at a time. Let's get into this Saints game right now. Hang on, This is a big one. And I do think hold on, before I'll, you can go back and we don't have to start the preview yet. But I do think I'll go out on a limb and say this is their most difficult game left.
1: This and New England are both tough. New England is like top five or better in almost every single defensive metric and especially the advanced ones. Two of so, them came
2: because of the Jets. The, they destroyed the Jets twice. I mean, 54, 13, 27, nothing whatever it was, put up a ton of defensive numbers in those two games.
1: And they just got to play Sam Darnold and Bill Belichick owns Sam Darnold. He's played against him many times and knows Bill exactly Belichick how owns to anything
2: him. that has ever stepped foot in the New York jets building. He hates the New <laughs> York jets so much. He's got so much disdain for them. He knows if you've played for the jets.
1: Yeah, no kidding. So, Yes, the Titans do have a tough game this weekend, and one thing that I that worries me more than anything is that the national media has finally crowned the Titans and given them their respect. Everyone says they're the best team in the AFC now. Everyone is saying they're a tier one team. Not everyone, but a you, lot yeah, you of still te- people. Have a,
2: you can still find quite a bit of disrespect out there.
1: That's true, but it's nothing like what we saw after Henry's injury this time last week. And... You also look at the schedule like we just did. The Titans know that their schedule lightens up. And of course, they'll never say anything like that to the media. They'll always say all the right things, treat every game, it's NFL, anyone can win, everybody's good, which is true. Which is true, which is what I'm concerned about to be honest, is that, you know, you look at the schedule and see a bunch of playoff teams, MVP candidates, former MVPs and Super Bowl winners like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, the Bills, the Chiefs, even the Colts in your own division. You know that's a tough game. The Rams, 7-1, and one, leaders in the NFC, Matthew Stafford, leading MVP candidate. Like, it's just different when you look at teams like that compared to looking at the Texans in two weeks or the Saints. Like, it's not that they don't play harder or play less hard or whatever, but Historically, this team has fallen flat whenever the national media finally starts giving them attention. So I'm just saying I'm a little concerned. Hopefully, if they're truly Super Bowl contenders, they've turned a corner and we don't have to worry about that. I mean, here's what's crazy. They're going to be favored in pretty much every game the rest of the year, barring some crazy bad losses over the next couple of weeks, which may opens the door for a trap game. The Titans are not going to win eight. They're not going to close the year on a 13-game win streak. They're not going to win the next eight games. So somewhere along the way, they're going to stumble. It wouldn't shock me if it was this week against the Saints. I think the Titans are clearly a better team. But until they figure out what they're doing on offense, until they get the running game going again without Derrick Henry and find that identity without him, this Saints defense is tough. They're a tough front. This could be like a 17-13 kind of game. You know, it wouldn't surprise me at all.
2: I agree. I think this is a really, really good New Orleans Saints defense. Two points I want to make about this game that I I don't want to say concern me, but but does kind of raise a couple of flags for me, so to speak. It's a very different game. It's a very different opponent than the ones the Titans have encountered in recent weeks. This And that doesn't necessarily guarantee that it's a bad thing, but this is not the Buffalo Bills. This is not the Kansas City Chiefs. This is not the Los Angeles Rams. What I'm saying by that is it's not Josh Allen. It is not Patrick Mahomes. It is not Matthew Stafford. Again, now that that's a bad thing, you don't want to be facing those guys on a weekly basis, but the game plans on defense, I think you'll agree. They were all relatively similar. They didn't blitz. I mean, it helps when you're getting pressure with four, obviously, but they didn't blitz any of those guys. You respect uh, the, the passing offenses of those teams. You want to drop as many guys as you can in coverage and make it difficult for them and, and force them to dink and duck their way down the field so they can't make the big plays that they are used to making. It's New Orleans Saints. I mean, it couldn't be any more different, right? I mean, it just couldn't. And, and that leads me to my second point that I wanted to make about how different this opponent is. What I did earlier today, I went and dug up The rushing attempts against the Titans in those games and and a couple before that, uh, but rushing attempts by running backs. So I'm not counting when the Los Angeles Rams uh, handed it to Robert Woods at one point. When they played Jacksonville in week five, Jamal Agnew, I think, took a carry. I'm not counting, I'm not counting Patrick Mahomes running five or six times like he did. I am looking at pure rushing attacks. Turn around, give the ball to your running back. Of course, if it was an RPO, that's fine too. But the running back got the football in a somewhat traditional sense. The Los Angeles Rams had only 18 of those attempts between Sony Michelle and Daryl Henderson. The Indianapolis Colts the week before. And I still don't understand this, by the way. Shockingly, only had 17. When you have Jonathan yeah. Taylor back there, I don't necessarily understand that. You go back a week before that, and I had to chuckle <laughs> to myself. The Kansas City Chiefs had five. They had five of them. And all of them were by Darrell Williams. So no other running backs got into the mix. The Kansas City Chiefs had five. I could not believe that. Yeah. The Buffalo Bills the week before that. Had 13, not a whole lot more. And that includes both Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. Interestingly enough, the two games before that were the ones uh, that had the most over this stretch. The Jacksonville Jaguars had 23. I don't even know how they had that many considering the Titans led that game, uh, especially late. But the Jacksonville had 23. Kudos to them. You know Urban Meyer wants to run the football. The New York Jets the week before that had 20. That's including, again, that was Ty Johnson and and Michael Carter. I I think maybe Tevin Coleman got into the mix there as well. But those last six games, you look at the last four specifically that you have won over playoff teams, and no one even hit 20 attempts. LA had 18, Indianapolis had 17 to recap. Kansas City and Buffalo had a pathetic five and 13. The New Orleans Saints this Sunday want to run the football when they've got Trevor Simeon back there. Taysom Hill, yada, yada. We know Alvin Kamara might be banged up. We'll touch on that later with our guest, Ross Jackson. But the point is they want to run the football. They brought in another guy so they could run it even more. A guy that they trust who knows their system and has a great relationship with Sean Payton. Point being, this is a very different opponent and a very different strategy that they will encounter on Sunday and a very different ball game than the ones they've played in recent weeks. For me, that does raise a few red flags because it, it is different and it is somewhat new. I don't. That's not me saying that the Titans can't stop the run or won't answer the call. I'm just saying that they will have to in a manner that they haven't needed to in recent weeks. And I will go on a limb and say the New or- this will be a close enough football game where the New Orleans Saints will be able to stick with the run, right? That is the best thing you can do as the Tennessee Titans is to jump out to an early lead and force New Orleans to play catch-up with Trevor Simeon at quarterback and with the group of pass catchers that they have there. I know you got your finger up and I do want to hear the point that you're going to make, but I'm still going here. That is the best thing you can do because the New Orleans Saints want to run the football. And if this game is close, which I think it potentially can be, then I expect the Saints to continue to stick with the run, and that does bring up a set of challenges for this defense that they really haven't had to face head-on recently.
1: While I don't disagree that in theory that all sounds like exactly what you'd want to do, the Saints were down 24-6 to against the Falcons with ten thirty-nine to play in the fourth quarter, and they took a 25-24 lead with one minute left and then played some of the worst defense, some of the worst prevent defense I've ever seen and gave up that huge catch to Cordero Patterson, put them in field goal range lost the game, but what a that's weird a huge game. comeback.
2: You bring up a good point because what a weird game because the New Orleans Saints are not built to play from behind like that and they are also not built to blow leads at the end to the Atlanta Falcons. They are a great defensive team and they are not a great passing offense. It just brings me back to a point I've made several times on this episode and that is the New Orleans Saints don't make sense and I don't know anything about them.
1: <laughs> and in that game last week, Kamara only had 13 carries. Mark Ingram had nine, and fullback Alex Arma had two. So they so did. There you go.
2: There you go. What is that? That's 20, 20
1: carries. 24. 24, 24
2: carries. I apologize. I was not a math major. 24 carries. That would lead. The Jags had 23 right over that six game stretch that I just covered. So uh that would lead that uh, metric in, in carries. So expect to see it this week. Expect the New Orleans Saints to try to run the ball tw- at least 25 times.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be a run-heavy game, and if David Long is not ready to return this week, which is a huge question mark. I mean, we have no idea what his status is.
2: That could work into Rashawn Evans' favor, though, because you don't want him in coverage, right, that much. So if he does come back, <laughs> if it's a run-heavy game, maybe it works out for Rashawn.
1: Or maybe we see Monty Rice and Jayon Brown side-by-side. Side. Although, I'll be honest, if Rashawn misses a third game in a row, it would be surprising, because if he was going to be out for three games, why not put him on short-term IR? So Maybe you-
2: Jip... Maybe Jim Haslett just likes him so much. They were holding out hope that he doesn't miss three, but we'll, but no, I do expect him to come back. And if Long is out, it won't even be a question. I, I Rashawn will draw the start over Monty.
1: Yeah, although I wouldn't mind just seeing Monty Rice get some snaps now that the Me Titans too. have virtually locked up a, a, a playoff seed here. Me too. But so as we always say keep... on this
2: show, you gotta save Rashawn Evans for the playoffs.
1: <laughs> no, just save him for fourth and goal. That's all you save him for. All right. Let's get some more insight into this game from someone who knows the team way better than you and I do, the team being the Saints, and welcome in our guest, Ross Jackson. You can find him on Twitter, at Ross RossJacksonNola. He is the host of the Locked On Saints podcast and co-managing editor of Canal Street Chronicles, the Saints SB Nation blog, so make sure you're following him on Twitter for this game. Ross, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you doing? Hey, doing very well. Very glad to
0: be here with you. Uh, you know, Justin, Justin, M and I, we go way, way, way back. Justin uh, Graeber, it's great to be able to meet you, buddy. I appreciate y'all having me on. Thanks for welcoming me in. Absolutely.
1: Great to have you. We're excited to dive into this game. So let's just do it then. Let's get it. Titans Saints on Sunday now. As outsiders, we are having trouble trying to figure out the Saints team. They're a little (laughs) bit confusing, pretty unpredictable. Obviously, lots of changes at the quarterback position. How do you and other people in New Orleans view this Saints team? Do you guys have them figured out?
0: Yeah. Look, it's tough to have them figured out, right? Because they just lost their starting quarterback for the rest of the season. They found out that they're not going to get their star wide receiver back at any point this season. And Michael Thomas, Um, that starting quarterback, of course, being uh, Jameis Winston. So with him being out, the team has sort of had to try to re-identify even further, which was something that they were already kind of doing. we were trying to search for that sort of identity early on in the season. It looked like that identity was going to be one of a running football team that tried to focus on winning the turnover battle and winning games with their defense as a large sort of imposition in the midst of all of it. And so far there are examples of that. You can look at the green Bay opener. You can look at the pick six that sealed the game for them up against the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But then you look at games like the New York giants loss, as well as the Atlanta Falcons loss, both of those losses at home in the now Caesar Superdome. Those were rough, and a lot of that came down to the defense not being able to close the game out and, in certain cases, giving up big plays in big moments. And so this is a team that has now gotten to a point where they have to reclassify their identity yet again with another starting quarterback, and right now Trevor Simeon, but now Taysom Hill, who's been on concussion protocol for the last three weeks. He returned last week. Now does he maybe become the starting quarterback? So there's still a lot to figure out with these teams, with this team, and that is all before you even have the conversation around the wide receivers, right? Deontay Harris, who's their leading wide receiver with only 323 yards receiving so far and a pair of touchdowns, he could be suspended for three games at some point over the next nine because of an offseason arrest, which their legal process just ended. That's why right now, uh, you know, One of the big conversations that everyone is having is, will Odo Beckham Jr. return to Louisiana to save the New Orleans Saints? My answer is no, (laughs) very unlikely that he will. Uh, And with that, this team has to run its way through Alvin Kamara, who, oh, by the way, might also be banged up as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll be honest with you, Ross. This team, to me, again, we are outsiders, but... It's the most wildly unpredictable team in the NFL, in my opinion. I I do not have them figured out. I'm not going to pretend like I do. I don't think they're a bad football team. uh, But you get Jameis Winston in there – And I don't even know if I've got a question for it. I've got more of a statement, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. But you get Jameis Winston in there, who, you know, by all accounts and purposes, is a gunslinger. We saw him in Tampa Bay, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, 4,500, 5,000 passing yards, all these thresholds that he was able to hit as a passer in Tampa Bay. He comes over to New Orleans. I know he's hurt now, but to start the season, and we got a good sample size, I believe you guys had the second-worst passing offense in the NFL. They were averaging like 180 Mm -hmm. passing yards per game. At one point, and again, that was with a good sample size with Winston. So uh, do you think that kind of came down to, to Winston, maybe not acclimating as well as people hoped he would uh, a lack of high end options at receiver, which is very uh, clearly the case in my opinion, but what do you ultimately think that boils down to?
0: Yeah, look, I think that the lack of high-end options at wide receiver is definitely a big part of it. But this is also a team that has forever prided itself on its ability to be able to generate an offense that's wide receiver friendly, and that does a good job scheming wide receivers open. You look at players like Lance Moore, Devry Henderson, uh, Marcus Colston, these guys that have been, you know, Willie Sneed even, who were incredibly popular and incredibly uh, productive in this New Orleans Saints, Sean Payton system in the past. Now you're kind of asking the question, how much of that was it? just the system versus how much of it was the system and drew breezes comfort with it right and then so now you're starting to see where maybe like the tight window throws the back shoulder throws the throwing receivers open how much of that was actually a part of what the new orleans saints needed in terms of their ability to scheme players open it was about execution just as much as it was about scheme is what we've sort of learned over the course of this uh you know, early season portion of, of the post-Drew Brees experience thus far. And you saw James Winston getting a little bit more comfortable with that. You know, you mentioned 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions in a previous season. It was tough to find a game so far this season where James Winston had thrown 30 times. I mean, the guy had usually been sort of kept below that threshold of throwing less than 30 times. He had one game over 30 had another game around 35 or so. And so it was starting to get there. But then Trevor Simeon comes in and his first game, he throws 41. So who really knows? You know what I mean? And that's one of the reasons why identity is so hard to really peg with this team, which can actually work in their advantage in some situations. But it only works in their advantage when the one piece of their identity that has been consistent since 2017 rings true. And that's their defense. If their defense is playing well, then they're going to be in games because their defense is a very good job keeping them in games. But all of this other stuff that they sort of had to figure out around the quarterback position, the offense, all of that, it has been uh, not very not as easy going as maybe some would have liked in the transition post breeze.
2: And I'm glad you touched on the quarterback spot there quite a bit as well, because I want to ask you about Trevor Simeon, Mm -hmm. Uh, first of all, and Graver, Tennessee Titans legend, Trevor Simeon, (laughs) who I think served, wasn't he their designated survivor last year, Graver? He was the practice squad quarterback that they kept away from everybody. I think the whole year he spent on the practice squad last year in case of COVID. So Tennessee Titans legend, Trevor Simeon, um, who is now or was the starter uh, last week for them, Uh, A, what were your impressions of him? And B, you know, you, you touched on Taysom Hill briefly earlier. Mm -hmm. I picked him up in fantasy football last week. He touched the ball three times. I I know he's still getting his legs under him and whatnot, but that was a little confusing to me that he wasn't more utilized uh, in that game. Do you think we'll see more of the same against Tennessee? It'll be Simeon and, and, and just with, with Hill mixed in there a little bit.
0: I think that they will continue to move forward with Trevor Simeon, but I do think that Taysom Hill will be way more heavily involved, uh, especially if the reports uh, of – Alvin Kamara being a little bit nicked up coming out of the game. He spent a little bit of time in the injury tent up against the Atlanta Falcons. The Saints signed another uh, running back, so they're probably going to go light with him during the practice week and then try to preserve him up until the game. Uh, you know, Thankfully, Alvin Kamara, you could just plug in on Friday and then feel pretty comfortable with him on Sunday. But because of all of that, I, I would definitely see Taysom Hill getting a little bit more involved, potentially even more Taysom Hill under center. I thought that you know my impressions of Trevor Simeon in terms of how he performed were actually pretty positive. I thought that Trevor Simeon did a good job. He's very calm. He doesn't really get, um, you know, the thing that I really liked about him was that you saw five drop passes by receivers in the first half of that game against the Atlanta Falcons. The Saints had more or had as many drop passes and penalties as they had completions in the first half of that game with five across all of those categories. Not good, very ungood, in fact. And the thing that was nice about Trevor Simeon that you could see was that he never got frustrated about any of it. He never got antsy. He never felt like the clock was ticking when it wasn't. And he continued to go back to those receivers to the point where players like Marquez Calloway and Kenny Sills, who dropped some pretty, pretty bad passes in those situations, i.e. passes that were well-placed, but they were bad drops on their part. He went back to them in the end zone, and they both ended up scoring touchdowns. And then they ended up, you know, he also led the team to an 18-point comeback to take the lead with a minute left in the game they just unfortunately weren't able to hold it up on the defensive side so i, I like what trevor Simeon brings to the team which is a quarterback that isn't going to turn the ball over and a quarterback that is not going to lose you the game it's kind of teddy bridgewater ish in terms of what the saints had a couple of years ago he's not somebody that you look at and say oh that's the future of the new orleans saints there but he's somebody that can puts you in a situation to where if you can get the play out of the skill positions that you need, which is where the Saints have struggled the most so far this season, particularly at pass catcher, and you get to play on the defense, it puts you in a position to win games for Trevor Simeon. But I don't know that Trevor Simeon's going to go out there and win you a game anyway. He's going to go out there and lose you a game.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that's kind of been his M.O. as a, as a passer his mm-hmm. whole career. But I want to ask you now moving on to kind of predicting kind of looking at the game flow Mm -hmm. here and what do you think will be the thing that determines the outcome of this game like obviously turnovers are always huge obviously third downs and red zone but is there anything that stands out to you about what either team does well or doesn't do well that could be the difference maker
0: yeah, look, I, I think turnovers are a big part of it. Uh the Saints over the last three seasons, seventeen and one when they win the turnover uh, battle, when they win that turnover differential, they're an incredibly good team when they force turnovers. And and that has always been something that they have done very well under Sean Payton in particular. But really over the last three years, when the defense started to come together post the Mario Davis edition, that ended up becoming a big part of their identity. The other thing that I would look at would be I, I look at where the Saints can, where the Saints can do well, which is on the offensive line, second in the nfl right now and espn's pass pass block win rate as a as a unit uh Ryan Ramchek at tackle, uh, Cesar Ruiz at guard, Eric McCoy at center, each in the top five of their position in that same metric on an individual basis, and then this is also the team uh, as a team on the defensive side that is the second best in the NFL when it comes to run stop win rate on the defensive line, and that of course is pretty big going up against now a Derrick Henry less uh, Tennessee Titans run game that only put up 69 yards but still won their game up again on the ground, uh, but still won their game against Los Angeles Rams. Last Last week, So, right. you know, it, it's going to come down to forcing a team to be one dimensional, which usually works in the Saints favor as long as they can handle more of what the Tennessee Titans will have to offer in the passing game, which is going to be greater than what the Atlanta Falcons had to offer in the passing game. And the Saints had a lot of trouble with that, particularly with crossing routes over the middle, which are like Julio Jones's bread and butter. Right. It was crazy
1: against the Rams because the Titans didn't want to throw downfield. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing because of that ferocious front that the Rams have. Missing Taylor Luan, missing Nate Davis on the offensive line. Tannehill's average depth of target was 3.7 yards. Mm -hmm. Lots of screens that the Rams Mm -hmm. read immediately and blew up. So I'm wondering if the Titans' offensive game plan is going to look similar because the Saints have a pretty stout, tough front four as well.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be a big part of of what the Saints will have to do in order to win this game is get pressure on Ryan Tannehill. Um, And for them to be able to not let the play action portion of the passing game really factor into what tennessee does so well uh, and can do so well in that area of the game and ryan Tannehill is excellent in that area of the game as well the saints can't suffer because of that so they have to be able to get pressure on ryan Tannehill. and where the saints do really well is almost getting sacks where they need to be better is actually getting sacks and so actually getting to the quarterback in time with the ball in his hand and being able to create and push that offense backwards
2: Ross, this has been terrific. You've really given us the perspective on the Saints um, that we were looking for. We are looking forward to Sunday's game. Um, Final question for you. um, How do you see this one playing out? You can offer a score prediction if you you Mm -hmm. feel like, uh, but really how you see this game playing out and maybe who you see uh, winning it ultimately.
0: Yeah, so the the way that I usually like to handle these things because I don't I don't want to ever jinx anything in favor of one team or, or another I can get accused of that sometimes is that I tend to look at these and say okay what does a win look like so for me uh, a New Orleans Saints win in Nashville uh, looks like this uh, Deontay Harris is in this game Alvin Kamara is healthier than expected in this game and the Saints rush for more than 130 yards and they're and they generate two turnovers that's what it's going to take for the Saints to end up getting a win if they can't do any of those things then that's exactly what a Tennessee Titans win looks like and those are tough things to do to generate multiple turnovers and to dominate on the run in the run game like that up against a, a defense that played as well as it did up against Los Angeles Rams last year you kind of have to hope if you're a Saints fan that Tennessee comes in after a big win the same way that the Saints went into the Falcons game after a big win and kind of you know underperformed in that way. So you kind of need the help of the Tennessee Titans in order to get a win. But either way, I think this is going to be a fantastic game. I love both of these teams and what they do. And I think that they are very, very well matched teams in terms of where they can perform, where they can overperform against one another. I think this is going to be a very fun one to watch. Tannehill's been kind of good
1: for a uh, a weird, fluky, dumb throw interception lately. <laughs> <Wait, laughs> so he's he's throwing interceptions. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's thrown interceptions in four straight games now. At least one in four straight games now. So that's mm-hmm. uh maybe the Saints will grab one early on. I, I kind of feel the same way. I think this is gonna be a defensive struggle more than people would expect. The Titans are still figuring out their offense here without Derrick Henry. Tannehill actually has three rushing touchdowns in the last mm-hmm. four games, so he might be able to use his legs more to help the Titans running attack out. But I like how specifically you detailed out what has to
0: happen there. that's a gives us a very good idea of how this game could go. Absolutely. Glad to be able to be here with you guys and to do it. I, I will say one more thing. Red zone defense for the New Orleans Saints. They went into that game against Atlanta as the best red zone defense in the NFL, only allowing touchdowns on 44 percent of drives. Gave up three in that game so that would be another big one in this one because uh tennessee uh, a bit better in the red zone than atlanta has been so far this season (laughs) and and
2: graver you know mike vrabel noted after the game in in his victory speech that the offense may not have been great uh in that game against the rams but they were three for three in the red zone all three trips converted into touchdowns so that that's definitely something to watch
1: right absolutely Well, Ross, we really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for joining us again. Everyone out there, once again, at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A, NOLA. Thanks for joining us, Ross, and good luck this weekend and the rest of the year. All right, back at you, buddy. Appreciate y'all having me on. All right, thanks again to Ross for joining us. We appreciate his insight into the New Orleans Saints. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at Ross Jackson, NOLA. Anything else you want to say about this game? How about we give some score predictions and then get out of here?
2: Let's do it. I think we covered the hell out of this game, both you and I. And once again, with our wonderful guest, Ross Jackson, my good friend over there at Locked On Saints, covered the hell out of the Rams recap, covered the news. Let's give some score predictions. I'm going to go. I was going to put you on the spot, but I'll go first because you'll probably price his right me again like you did <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. But I'm going to go Titans- 21-13. Ah, you literally stole the words out of my
1: mouth. Oh, we, what, what do you got, 22-13 now? I'll go 21-10.
2: <laughs>
1: Defense holds him to 10.
2: But we both in agreement 10. on 21. That's interesting, That'd be right? respectable. I, yeah. Yeah.
1: And I don't and the picked Titans up,
2: moving the ball at will,
1: right? I picked up Randy Bullock this week in fantasy because my kicker's on a bye. And if the, he, if the Titans score 21 points, he's only going to get me three. That's not going to be good at all.
2: Like you might you might want to reconsider that i don't know how you didn't think of that you just predicted 21 points and you're predicting to get yourself three fantasy points
1: change my mind titans win 18 10 six field goals
2: <laughs> six field i'm here for it man let's go randy my man thick thighs save lives that's what they say about randy bullock and he's been kicking that ball in an excellent manner this season
1: love me some thick randy all right thanks to everyone for tuning in to our podcast and listening for this. It was a long one, but it was a good one. I got a couple more shout outs this week to read. So here we go. Logan Beatty. Ask. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Logan Beatty, thanks for the shout out. He says, Titans with interviews. It's awesome how you'll always get a person to interview. It gives an outside view into the other team we are facing. I also like how y'all stay on topic and give predictions at the end of each show. I love it and keep it up. Thanks, Logan. We love you too, and we appreciate man, the shout-out. We got one more. I've here. always from... like people
2: named Logan. Sidetrack. Yeah. Logan Ryan was a great player too. So shout out to Logan Ryan and shout out to Logan for the review.
1: Absolutely. And we got one more here from Mississippi Titan. I'm sure he's a big fan of Jeff Simmons, Danico Autry, AJ Brown, but he says. Titans fans, young Pike, the only Titans podcast I like to listen to. I look forward every week to a new episode, hashtag Titan up. Well, thank you, Mississippi Titan. We look forward to recording every week. So we appreciate another five-star review. If you want to get shouted out on this podcast, all you have to do is shout us out in a review five stars, Apple podcast, please leave them. We really appreciate it. Helps us grow the show, climb the charts, find new listeners, yada, 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 which helps us continue to get great guests. So uh, any last parting words, Justin, for this episode?
2: I think that does it. This was a really long one. We appreciate you guys for sticking with us. We had a lot to cover between a extremely exciting uh, victory in Los Angeles, in Tinseltown, in the world of Oscars and yacht and traffic and whatever else they have in Los Angeles. And now we get to look ahead to another really, again, exciting, unique matchup with a five, five and three New Orleans Saints team. So uh, a team that's well above 500 and uh, looks playoff bound and, and gave Tom Brady all he could handle two Sundays ago and, and, and beat the Bucs. So really exciting, good game this Sunday, I think, on tap. And, and thank you for tuning in
1: yeah thanks guys hopefully it's not the last titans game at sofi stadium this year hey they'll be back in february maybe we hope if that other uh, stat i read from ed warder ed Warder is right then the you know it would be the fourth of four to go to the super bowl after going 4-0 against playoff teams from last year in a four-game stretch all right that'll do it for this show thanks again to everyone for tuning in listening this long remember to follow justin at Justin M underscore NFL. You can find me at Titans Film Room. Go check out the video breakdown I tweeted of Kevin Bayard's pick six that he quote tweeted and said... This is actually pretty accurate. Nice work. You know, that's not the usual response when a player, quote, tweets a breakdown on Twitter. They usually say something like, this guy doesn't know anything. You don't know what you're talking about. That's not my job on this player. Who the hell knows what? But KB helped us out a lot. He talked about the play in the postgame, gave us some insights. That made it easy for me. All right. Enough blabbering. Let's get out of here. We'll be back next week to recap the Saints game and preview the first game against the Houston Texans on the schedule for this year. Until then, you guys stay safe and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.